This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast. That's right. Around the Rim is back post-Turkey. Um, I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And Tarika, how was your Thanksgiving? The fact that I can still fit my clothes is amazing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went ham, literally. Literally. The, o- <laughs> the only thing that kind of messed me up, my mom texted me last night and was like, hey, um, is this your macaroni and cheese uh, that you left in the freezer? <laughs> I wrapped up my macaroni and cheese and was going to bring it home to Atlanta, and I left it at my mom's crib. I am so blown. That is the biggest Thanksgiving faux pas. I drove 11 hours to Detroit from Bristol, Connecticut, and I didn't forget a plate, okay? <laughs> oh, I am so so distraught i did not get to get all the leftovers i want my mom ended up having to work a double shift the day after thanksgiving so i couldn't go to her house it was just a mess but anyway i'm glad your thanksgiving was fantastic mine was uh, just amazing i mean if any fans are interested there's a video on my instagram at lachina robinson of me my aunt my mom uh, my two aunts my mom and my cousin singing bismarck um, say he's just a friend and it was like the best moment this was actually the day after Thanksgiving but that just summarizes my family we love hip-hop my aunt used to work at a radio station called WILD in Boston and I met I'll be sure when I was young I met Chris Cross but long story short what? I'm jealous my love for hip-hop is so deep and my entire family loves it so that was that was a big moment for us and remind um, our listeners how many brothers and sisters you have again I have 15 brothers and sisters, so that's a whole nother podcast, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we all know and love each other. There's no, you know, baby daddy hid the kids kind of stuff happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I can name all 15, but I'll save that for another time. Okay, so basketball Thanksgiving, a lot of teams get to go to the islands. Um, You know, you have all of these different tournaments. So catching basketball, women's basketball television was a little bit elusive. Uh, But for those that travel to the islands, I'm jealous. Um, There were a couple of tournaments that did have to get relocated, rescheduled because of the damage that was done to the Virgin Islands and other places. So prayers as, uh, you know, gosh, hurricane recovery in so many places in our world is still happening. First quarter. Fans, it's the first quarter, and we are blowing the whistle. Big congratulations to Ohio State senior guard Kelsey Mitchell, team lefty. She broke the NCAA career record for three-pointers made, previously held by UConn's Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis. Mosqueda-Lewis had 398 in her career at Connecticut, and Kelsey Mitchell, I believe the total now is 404 in her career. So congratulations to, to Kelsey. And then also, big news for Harry Peretta. The Villanova Wildcats are ranked for the first time in 13 years in both national polls. They are 5-0, and including a huge win to start the year over the Duke Blue Devils. They are number 25 in the AP poll this week, number 24 in USA Today coaches poll. Uh, the last time they were ranked was November 2004. So congratulations to uh, the Big East and Villanova Wildcats. Um, Marquette played Tennessee, and actually the Lady Vols would go on to beat Marquette, but uh, the Golden Eagles pushed the balls to overtime, which is a good sign for Carolyn Keeger's team, expected to do big things this year in the Big East. Um, Tennessee was led by Jamie Nard. Obviously big expectations for the Vols as well um, with their number one recruiting class. Despite some departures, um, Holly Warlick's uh, team is, is always one that people are looking forward uh, to watching. Um, another game that, that kind of caught my eye, Duke, the Blue Devils, after losing an early season game to Villanova, they beat Oregon State, which is a, a quality win. Duke is actually getting ready to take on Ohio State, which would give us an even better idea um, of what the Blue Devils will do on the national scene this year. Obviously, that loss to Villanova was shocking, um, but that game will be on ESPN, so check your local listings as Duke will take on Ohio State, but I thought that Oregon State Win was very, very strong. I mean, Scott Ruick, boy, um, the Beavs definitely, they come ready to play. So that's a, that's a good win under Duke's belt. Um, 
Missouri did beat Cal um, despite some shaky play. And this is one thing Michelle Vopel wanted me to share. We didn't get to talk about next, uh, last in our last episode. But, you know, Missouri has lost a lot of veteran leadership. And that is something from last year to this year. So even though I think the, the expectations were high in terms of what they had returning and, you know, obviously Jordan Ferricks being back in, um, you know, Sophie Cunningham being the player that she is and just outstanding and so fun to watch. Uh, they did lose a lot of the senior leadership. So we'll keep our eyes on Missouri, but they did beat Cal, which is a nice signature win for them, kind of bouncing back. Um, we talked about UCLA versus Connecticut in our in our last episode in uh, my The Huskies went to UCLA and um, really blew through the Bruins. Um, Kobe Bryant was courtside. Um, you know, and even though we saw a lot of fight in Corey Close's team, they're not quite there, but they had an outstanding cr- crowd and, um, you know, a, a lot to look forward to this year with UCLA behind Jordan Canada and Monique Billings. Second quarter inside the huddle. Okay. So the other game that I want to talk about that is going to lead us to our show, just to give fans a, a couple, a, a quick preview. We are going to be joined by Muffet McGraw, uh, head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, newly inducted Naismith Hall of Famer, who is going to talk to us a little bit about how things were shaping up coming into the season and just an overall profile on her, some interesting things. She can't cook, I can't cook. Um, so we got to see a, a little different side of Muffet. But her Notre Dame Fighting Irish took on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, big matchup, you know, Tarika, and, and again, sometimes we get lost in the turkey in terms of what's happening <laughs> during Thanksgiving, but this was a, a, a big game, and it was big for a couple of reasons. So, first of all, for those that don't know, looking at the, the Fighting Irish roster, Brianna Turner, um, multi-time All-American, uh, decided to sit out this year. She tore ACL. Um, at the end of last season in the NCAA tournament and, you know, has had some recovery time through the summer, but just felt like she was not quite there. So she um, is sitting out this year. She's uh, expected to turn return next season, but obviously that was a big hit for the Fighting Irish. They also then lost Michael Johnson, who would have been a, an experienced point guard for a team that lost Lindsey Allen um, the ACC's career leader in assists. So that was major for them. And as you know, Notre Dame relies heavily on their point guard play. So to lose Lindsey Allen is huge. So you start to look at how you replace her. You lose Michael Johnson to injury for the season. And you get transfers in. Now, this was Muffet McGraw's first year taking transfers ever. And when ever. everyone was super surprised at her even flexibility to do it. Yes, right, Tarika? Like, we talked to her. We're like, and if you know Muffet, Muffet has her ways. Obviously, she has had a great deal of success. She knows what works, so on and so on. Um, but decided to take transfers. One is Jessica Shepard, transfer from Nebraska, who was an outstanding player there. The other is Lily Thompson, who, um, you know, basically was done with school at Stanford and decided to um, play her final year elsewhere. So those are two big pieces and two much-needed pieces when you think about the position that they play. No Breonna Turner, you insert Jessica Shepard, um, and then you don't have Lindsey Allen, so you insert Lily Thompson. So going back to this game against South Carolina, and we've talked about the Gamecocks quite a bit um, on, our, on, our, on our podcast, but this was a big game. I mean, because both of these teams ranked in the top five, um, you know, we get to see what, well, and actually Notre Dame technically was number six. They are in the top five now, but we get to see kind of like a preview. Like, what are these teams going to bring to the table? And it was all South Carolina to start. They were 28-18 in the first quarter. Uh, really got some great play from Lindsey Spann, who's a new piece of the Gamecocks. They have the same story, okay? They graduated um, two first-round WNBA players, excuse me, three, um, when you think about Alicia Gray and Coates and Kayla Davis. So things have changed for them dramatically. They are without Bianca Cuevas-Moore, who is still out with a sprained knee um, that she suffered coming into the season, and she is day-to-day. They don't know when they're going to get her back. So South Carolina, it it looks very different as well. But anyway, they got great contributions early for Lindsey Spann, who, you know, hit some threes. 
Um, Alexis Jennings is a new piece for Dawn Staley, who, who bought some good play early. Obviously, you have Asia Wilson, who just looked fantastic and actually um, made her own personal push towards the end of the game and, and almost... Um, you know, put South Carolina over the top. So when you look at this game overall, I was really impressed with Notre Dame. They scored 92 points. Again, South Carolina ran away with it early, 28 to 18. But once Notre Dame settled in, we saw something new from the Irish. At least I kind of consider it new. So their offense has always been dynamic. Um, it had a lot of moving pieces. But again, they've been very point guard dominant from Skylar Diggins to Lindsey Allen. Um, but this year's team seemed to be so balanced in terms of their ability to make plays. Lily Thompson had five assists. Um, definitely, you know, kind of set the tone. But you also look at the fact that Arike Agumbawale had 23 points, five assists. Now, we know she can score the basketball, but she's distributing it. She had seven rebounds to go along with that. Jackie Young had four assists of her own. Um, and the sophomore had a double-double with 22 points and 10 rebounds. She is a game-changer for me. Last year, we knew how talented she was. She comes in. Jackie Young's going to be a big deal after all the damage she did on the Indiana high school scene. But she was kind of slowed by some injuries, right? Didn't have a lot of continuity to her freshman year. We saw some bright spots. She is emerging as a major factor for Muffet McGraw's team. Could be the biggest factor. Now, she can also play some four. So considering, you know, their their lack of depth and depending on what happens with Catherine Westbelt, um, you know, she could be a major player. And Westbelt is the glue. I mean, you hear Muffet McGraw talk about her. She is still struggling with that ankle injury she suffered last January. She had surgery in April, but... I think I read somewhere that 99% of the people that have the surgery that she had on the ankle recover just fine, and then there's 1%. Well, Catherine's that 1%. So she wakes up really not knowing how she's going to feel um, or how much usage she will have out of that ankle, so she's not really getting to all the practices. And that impacts a team's chemistry, but we didn't see it on this night. I mean, besides the early um, lack of defensive intensity in the first quarter, Notre Dame really had a strong showing. They shot 67% from the field in the second half. Um, overall, in the game, they shot 55%. And from three, they were five for nine and 13 for 18 free throws. They did have the rebound advantage. They had 19 assists. So, you know, I'm not saying we learned a ton in this game because it, it is so early for both of these teams and there are a lot of moving pieces, still a lot of chemistry to be worked on. Now, the Irish playing well is a huge deal because coming up on this Sunday, December 3rd, 4 p.m. on ESPN, that's right, number three Notre Dame will take on number one UConn Huskies at the Excel Center in Hartford, Really big deal. Um, we will obviously have all the coverage, but the rivalry between Notre Dame and Connecticut um, kind of reignited that old rivalry that used to exist between Tennessee and UConn um, back in the days when the late, great Pat Summit uh, was coaching. And so uh, the Irish got the best of UConn for a while, but in recent years, it's been all Husky. So this will be an interesting matchup on Sunday, a must-watch game for all of women's basketball and as you've heard us talk about in previous podcasts, the Huskies are on top of their game. Um, Crystal Dangerfield has been fantastic. Azurae Stevens uh, has shown so many spots of brightness with Katie Lou Samuelson having to hit the bench with injury. So uh, this is a must-watch game. It's also the Women's Jimmy V Classic. So obviously ESPN's. Uh, support of, of Jimmy V and Cancer Research continues, so make sure you, you are tuned in on Sunday. Uh, and that's enough of me talking about the Fighting Irish. Let's get some insight from Muffet McGraw. Well, women's basketball fans, we have with us one of my favorite, not just coaches, but personalities in all of sport, and that is one Muffet McGraw of Notre Dame. Welcome, Coach McGraw. And may I say you are one of my favorites as well. Oh, well, thank you. We have fun when we get together, <laughs> we right? <do. laughs> and we just figured out, guys, just, I mean, we're, the fans are joining late, but um, neither one of us can really cook. <laughs> what we just figured out. So I have to um, marry. How about your husband? Yeah, he's a cook. Okay. Mm -hmm. that's, it man, that's my guy. He's actually in the room. Hey. Um, yeah, I can't cook at all. And so I'm going to have to marry a chef or mm -hmm. someone who likes Postmates. <laughs> And that's what I use right now. Um, it's an exciting time 
because basketball season's getting ready to start. And despite some key losses to your roster, the expectations for Notre Dame high as always. But from your seat, what is this team this year shaping up to be? Well, you know, it's going to be interesting now that we have Jessica Shepard playing. Uh, that was something that we didn't know was going to happen before the season. So kind of uh, kind of winging it a little bit to see where that was going to land. But we're, we're so excited about our guard play. Arike Ogumbawali, what, what a fantastically energetic, exciting player she is. Marina Mabry, uh, you got to guard her when she crosses half court because she's going to let her fly. And she is also just doing a great job running the point at times. Uh, but Jackie Young, probably our most improved player. She's somebody that's going to surprise a lot of people this year because she is ready to play. She is, uh, she is phenomenal. She can do it all. Defend, rebound, score, a lot of different ways. So I'm, I'm so excited about those three. But then we've got some new additions with Lily Thompson at the point. You know, eight years of a point guard, Skyler and Lindsay. And now we got a new point guard for a year. So a little bit of a, Transitional time, I would say, for us. But uh, Lily's so experienced; she's got just uh, Final Four experience. She's got a lot of poise; really can play. And uh, and then with Jessica inside, Catherine Westbelt, hoping uh, that she can stay healthy this year, uh, just gives us a lot. So we're going to break down some of those pieces, but I do want to start with Jessica Shepard because um, the number of tweets and messages that I saw come across and said, "How did they get her eligible? <laughs> like, can you give us the technical? Was it more?" A, a medical hardship because of the low numbers on your roster. Obviously, for fans that don't know, um, you know, Brianna Turner will not play this year. But what was what was it exactly? Um, how were you able to get her eligible? Well, you know, we just fill out the paperwork and send it into the NCA and their committee meets. Uh, they looked at the reasons. Uh, there were personal reasons for her. Uh, looked at uh, her time at Nebraska and. Talked to Nebraska about how they felt about it. Talked to us about how we felt about it. But really, we didn't have a lot of interaction with the committee. I, I think that's something you send the paperwork in, and uh, it's not the kind of thing that you can get on the phone and call people about. And how did you know that Jessica, um, you know, I mean, we're in a time in basketball, especially college basketball, where, where players are moving, right, for whatever reasons. Um, how did you know Jessica would be a good fit for Notre Dame? Well, three of our girls had played with her at USA Basketball. So Arike, Marina, and Brianna Turner had all spent time with her, all really liked her. Uh, Bree especially, I think they had, had a lot of fun together. They they really clicked. They spent a lot of time together on this team that they were on. And so that was that was kind of how we heard about it. I think Bree, you know, said, hey, I hear she's thinking about transferring. So when she came on her visit, she was already comfortable with three of the girls. So it, it really worked out well. She's somebody that's just a great teammate. I mean, it's just somebody you just liked her immediately and knew she was going to fit in. And I loved it. As you started talking about your team, you didn't talk about what you don't have, but I will talk about it because I know that some people um, may not know, and, and maybe you can explain how it came about. But, yes, Brianna Turner will not play. How hard was it to make that decision um, to, to sit her this year? I, I think the decision was hers. And uh, in consultation with the medical staff when would she be ready when would she be really ready not not just able to play but really ready to be an all-american and when you're that good i I didn't think it was fair to her to to say well maybe february in march you could play two months and uh you you wanted to play well then she's going to go into the WNBA, so you wanted to be ready for that so i thought it was in her best interest to really just wait to see what the year would bring and I think she she was really inclined to not play. Um, and so I think she can rehab. She can come back to practice at some point. You know, maybe it's February or March, but she can get out there and play a little bit and then have the whole summer to get really to get back. When I think about last season, um, I just remember, you know, your final game. And in my mind, I was I was looking at um Arike Ogumbawale and Marina Mabry saying they're so young, you know, like this is this this loss in, in this season will do something for them moving forward. Where have you seen the most growth from those two? And where have you asked them now to kind of turn the page of growing up? And where have you asked them to, to do that this year? Well, we, we have seen a lot of growth. And uh, I'm glad you recognize that because I think there's a, a greater commitment to defense. Uh, I think that's something we thought last year if we could have just got to stop we could have won the game, and so you have to look at that. But both of them continue to work on their games. Arike really has worked on her three. She's shooting the ball extremely well. Uh, Marina was injured all summer. She wasn't able to do a lot of work, but she got in the weight room, and that was big for her because she needs to get stronger. She was somebody that uh, couldn't really throw the ball full court. She struggled a little bit inside, couldn't get a three-point play, didn't finish as well around the basket. So I think that additional strength is really going to serve her well this year. 
And speaking of strength, West Bell is that player that just she's a glue player. She's the toughness. You know, I, I thought you know, I remember thinking back to last year, you know, with the injuries, I just hated it for her kind of in and out, never really getting healthy. So where is she this year? What? Can, how much of her um, can you expect to have? Well, she had surgery in April and really hasn't practiced uh, yet and probably won't even be ready for the first game. So it's going to be interesting to see where she's going to go. Um, I, I think she's getting better. She obviously has uh, taken a lot of time off to rest and to heal, and she's ready to go. I mean, she's anxious. She's she's kind of chomping at the bit to get out there. She does get out and shoot and do some drills with us, and, and we're expecting that she's going to get in and, and start to go some three-on-three, maybe a little bit of full-court work. Um, but I, I think she'll probably be really healthy, hopefully by December. Fans, stay right where you are. It's halftime, but we will have more with Muffin McGraw in the third quarter. But right now, we just want to thank you for tuning in to Around the Rim, supporting women's basketball. You can download us on the ESPN app. You can subscribe on the Apple Podcast. You can leave comments, reviews. We want to hear from you. So make sure that you are sending our, us your thoughts on Twitter using the hashtag around the rim. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at she knows sports underscore. Even during the UConn Notre Dame game, shoot us some of your thoughts. Hashtag around the rim because we may read them on next week's show. Uh, yeah, thanks for your support. Third quarter. One of the things you mentioned earlier, and my mind keeps going back to it, um, you know, the point guard position for your program in general has been, I mean, it's the, you have great point guards, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and so did you ever imagine yourself bringing in a transfer point guard that would have maybe this big of, a, <laughs> of an impact that Lily can have this year? You know, we you never, never think about, we, we've never had a transfer before. This is the first year we've right. ever even had a transfer. And then you look at, say, somebody coming in for one year. How, how's that going to affect the chemistry of the team? Uh, but when you looked at, at losing Lindsay and, and wondering what was going to be the future of our point guard, you know, Marina could probably do a little bit. Um, but you wanted somebody that had played that position. So when she decided to uh, reach out to us, uh, you know, it seemed as though fate had taken a hand and uh, and the de- her destiny would be to come to Notre Dame and fill in that spot that we just so desperately needed this year in between when we have a freshman point guard coming in next year. And what does that say about where the game is right now, Coach? Like, you know, you're having to be flexible about personnel options and things. Like, again, as I mentioned, whether it's a transfer or leaving early for the WNBA like Jewel did or those kind of situations that we're seeing happening more in our game. Why do you think they're happening? And and what is your suggestion to coaches? Is obviously you've been flexible, you know, with with your philosophies in, in situations like this. Well, thank you. Not many people consider me to be vet flexible. So. <laughs> well, uh, hey, you take your first transfer. We're like, she did? When? Are you sure? Can we double check this? Like, <laughs> I think you have to be ready all the time and, uh, you know, play the hand you're dealt. But it, it is a different time right now, I, I think, with transfers. And I think coaches across the country, everybody's worried because it really affects your program, not just that year, but for a couple years in the future. Because there's a kid you didn't take because you, you took a chance on this kid and, and you expected she would be here for four years. And so it, it takes a few years to recover from that. So I think people are going to start over-recruiting and they're going to have more players on their team, which is going to in really hurt the problem because then kids are going to transfer because they're not playing because right. there's too many people on the happy. team. So right. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what the happy medium is. I, I think you, you just you have to be prepared. I don't ever want to be without a point guard again. Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely need to always have two point guards in the program. So I, I think it really, really affects how you think about the future. And you can't count on anything. Uh, you expect that kids are going to be there for four years. Uh, the WNBA comes calling and, and you're seeing a lot of kids, uh, even though they, they only played three years, um, but their fifth year was their third playing. And so they're they're going to leave. So you, you have to be ready for anything. Yeah. Well, let's see. I would say my top three I don't even want to say my top three favorite point guards in Notre Dame, but I'll just mention um, Skyler, um, Lindsay, Neil. Good luck, Lily. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. She'll do. She's she'll gonna. Do great. I, and, and you got Neil right there on the sideline. I know. Out, so yeah, that's that's good. She's so gonna be good, good to have Neil. So I have to ask you this before Tarika. How how, how much time do I have? You have about four minutes. Oh, four minutes. Make nice. sure okay. you get this Twitter question in too. Okay, so we've got a Twitter question, and then I want to ask you. So you had a roast. 
from what I understand. There were some funny stories <laughs> told about one Muffet McGraw. Um, can you give us a, a maybe one story that stood out to you or, or a moment that maybe you had lost sight of that a player or coach or someone reminded you of? <laughs> There were quite a few of those. Uh, I, I thought the funniest actually was when my son started off by saying, they said they were giving my mom a roast, and uh, I thought that was kind of odd because she's never even been in the kitchen. <laughs> so she didn't know where that was coming from. But uh, That's I had another player who said uh, – you know, she gave up a three in the zone, and uh, that's kind of my hot button issue. And and then they come back down again to hit another three. And she said, before the ref got the whistle out for the timeout, Coach McGraw was in my face, <laughs> and she was shouting at me and telling. And then after the game, said, "Great game," and she was like, "What the heck is this all about?" But yeah, there were some funny stories. The that ebbs made. and flows of, yeah. of one game. Right? I was, it was behind. I put it behind me. Right. I was over it. She was still kind of shaking. But you have to as a coach, right? <laughs> yeah. You got to kind of put some of those possessions like, you know what? Hey, we won. <laughs> we're good. We're moving on. Yeah, we're moving along. Tarika, hit us up with the Twitter question. What do we have for Coach McGraw? Okay, we have a question from Young Buckets. And they would like to know, what do you think about recruiting European prospects? Oh, what do you think about recruiting European prospects? You know, that's something else I've never had. Uh, I've never had. I have. We've had a Canadian player. I don't consider that coming from a foreign country. So, <laughs> yeah, no. um, you know, we don't recruit internationally very much. Uh, there's so many great players here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've been able to recruit so many great players from here. We haven't had the need to go overseas. I think if a player asked, uh, hey, would you recruit me? I'm interested in Notre Dame. We probably would look at them, but uh, it's it's not something that we really like to do. Yeah, I might know who I might know a Canadian player right now that <laughs> you'd be interested in, but you know, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not. One. <laughs> and, uh, but we yeah. we are seeing that trend more, and it's interesting when I talk to coaches, they like the versatility of of some of the international players. Um, there seems to be a sense that whatever they're doing at the grassroots level is a little bit better um, than what we have going on right now um, in both our AU and high school system. So it's just interesting, but I think the answer is. Not always if you don't get what you want here, go somewhere else. But how can we make our product better, yeah. right? Yeah, so for can, sure. I would can. love to see that happen in the definitely in the AAU and the grassroots. Uh, we've got a long way to go there. Yeah. Well, Coach, it's always a wonderful time it with sure you. Is. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, and right. good luck this season. Let's take a cooking class together. <gasps> Ooh, roast <laughs> will be our first meal. Yes, I would love to. Thanks, Coach. Sounds good. <laughs> All righty. Bye-bye. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Well, fans, you are used to our fourth quarter segment being out of bounds. And this is kind of out of bounds because it's not technically WNBA season. However, it's major news. um, And it's something that our fans have been asking us or someone our fans have been asking us to get on the show. Um, Tarika and I are really, really excited to welcome to the show uh, the new head coach of our WNBA Atlanta Dream, Nikki Collin. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. Glad to be on. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. And it's interesting how much WNBA news there has been um, happening in the, quote, off season between, you know, movements of teams and, um, you know, obviously the, the sale of New York, which Michelle Vopel and I talked about last week. But this is definitely a bright spot in that you have a lot of fans out here in basketball land. Talk a little bit about the process of how you decided that it was time to not only make your first leap into head coaching, but that Atlanta would be the right place for you. Well, you know, I think uh, after, you know, my second year in the league um, and multiple openings with with Seattle and Atlanta, um, I I just viewed it as – you know, Seattle didn't really reach out to me, but when Atlanta did, I, I viewed it as, you know, if nothing else, an opportunity to stretch myself in terms of interviewing. And, and uh, I, you know, I've, I've certainly felt, quite frankly, for years that I was ready to be a head coach, but um, wasn't necessarily in position to uh, get to the finish line with a job or, or um, really even pursue a job that made sense for me and my, my entire family. So Atlanta was kind of one of those jobs that fit. And, you know, step by step, uh, I just kind of kept getting a little further along in the process. And, uh, you know, when when Mary and Kelly, the two owners, you know, offered me the job, it was it, it really was a shock to me. Um, and yet, you know, it was um, a really 
really exciting, um, really humbling, but, uh, you know, it just all the pieces kind of came together for a lot of different reasons. And I know when, when I've talked to other people that have gotten their first head coaching job, it, you almost have to have a lot of things aligned, you know, for, for the job to work out. And I just felt like each step along the process, whether it was Teresa Wenzel being a Marquette grad and, you know, having that in common to uh, Mary and Kelly both having husbands that are engineer engineering majors and I got my degree in engineering there just seemed to be little things that kept lining up that kept connecting the dots you've mentioned the word fit a couple times so I'm just curious when you say a good fit for you and your family what did what did that look like well I think it's uh you know we've lived uh I've got 12 year old twins and uh, a 10 year old my husband's retired but was in coaching for 35 years. And, and so, you know, we, we've been in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, my parents are in the south. Uh, my, my nieces and nephews and my brother-in-law are in the south. And so, you know, fit for us was about, like, where, where can we call home, you know, because you, know, you don't necessarily have to in the WNBA call uh, the city that you uh, play in or you coach in home, but that's what we were looking for, you know, to make it happen. The idea that, that we could find that place that fit me in coaching and where I was at and the type of uh, environment I wanted to be in and work for the kind of people that I wanted to work for and also where it, where it kind of fit uh, regional with, regionally with, with my family in a place that, you know, we could move to and call home 12 months a year. Wow. So you and your family are going to relocate to Atlanta. That that is our plan. In fact, my husband right now is with a realtor in Atlanta. So I'm in Fort Myers, but he's with a realtor in Atlanta. So I don't think I don't think my husband at uh, in his 60s has been really excited about being home all summer with three kids. <laughs> I can imagine that. Shout out to Tom Collin, definitely a guy who ha- had did a lot for his time. I know you mentioned he's retired, but. Um, has done a lot for our game, and I can't imagine some of the basketball conversations that happen between the two of you. I'd love to just be a fly on the wall. So um, if that is the case and your family relocates, looking forward to having him around once again and uh, and just having him around the game. So take us back. Um, you attended both Purdue as well as Marquette um, in college as a player. Um, ended up in Marquette, finished your career at Marquette, which interestingly enough, Teresa Wenzel as well, who is the dream president, um, played basketball there. But what was kind of your aspiration once you were done with college? You mentioned you were an engineering major. Where did you think at that point your career would go? Oh, you know, I think there was no doubt that I just wanted to play basketball. You know, I I still remember talking to Lynn Dunn when I left um, Purdue, and, you know, I, I had a good relationship with her, and, and our, our team had won two Big Ten championships, but I wanted to impact us on the court a lot more, and, you know, Stephanie White was coming in, and Yukari Figs was coming in, and I just I kind of thought the writing was on the wall. And I remember meeting with, with Lynn, and she's like, you know, if you want to stay – stay here and and not play basketball and just go to school we'll pay for it and I'm like oh my gosh like that's how I know that like you maybe don't know me as well as you think you know me because I just want to play basketball you know like I I went to college and and got a great degree in engineering and but I love to play and I've always said that you know, I'm 42 right now, and if I could still be playing, I would be playing. You know, like I had to hang it up because I wasn't quite good enough, you know, to play in the WNBA, but that was my dream. You know, I, I did a tryout uh, in Detroit and felt like I was really close um, right out of college and thought, oh, I'll go overseas. And, and I went overseas and played in Greece, and that winter, the ABL folded. And so, all the ABL players moved into the WNBA. So timing for a, a five foot five point guard was not great <laughs> to make the WNBA. So you well, know, I was going to tell you, moment. you, you look like you could still hoop though. You, you look like well, you're in great you know, shape. I, I cannot I believe you have like, children. I'm good. And I'm good in noon ball. Like if you can spot me up in the corners, I can run all day and shoot. But as long as I'm guarding that person that doesn't go to the boards, like I really don't want to hit anybody. <laughs> You know, Alyssa Thomas ran into me once this year, and I wasn't sure Ooh. I was gonna I was gonna make it out at game time. 
concussion um, protocol so, instantly yeah. if Melissa Thomas so I really you. know enough uh, about like where I'm at you know but um so you know I I, I knew that it, I was at a crossroads where I was 23 years old I played a year professionally I wasn't probably going to make the WNBA and so I applied for engineering jobs I applied for coaching jobs and you know I I took an engineering job but before I started got offered a coaching job for a third the amount and I just I just knew after I went on that interview that basketball just was not out of my system and Mm -hmm. that I kind of had to I kind of had to do that like the engineering would always be there um and that's how I've continued to look at it like it's it's still there you know but but uh you know coaching is probably the next best thing to playing so you know, I just dove in head first into coaching and, and, uh, you know, I've been, been in it ever since. Isn't it crazy how basketball can just captivate your life and change your plans? I had the same experience. I was a sociology major. My parents were expecting me to go to law school out of college. Um, you know, and the minute I was without basketball, you know, I wanted to go on and play professionally, but I had an injury that where I had to sit out a year. So I ended up getting an internship and I recognized in that kind of in between time, I was like, oh my God, I want to be close to basketball. Like I can't do this, you know? So you kind of try to find some way. And I, and I tell young women all the time, like there's so much you can do, even if you don't want to coach, obviously there's television, there's front office position. I mean, the, it has grown so much in terms of, your opportunity to stay with women's basketball, um, you know, in, in various ways, covering the game and so on. But it's so interesting how, how that can work. So you went on to coach at the college level and had various various stops, Arkansas, Louisville, um, Colorado State, and, and more recently at Florida Gulf Coast, which I will tell you this right now, Carl Smesco is one of my favorite coaches in the country. Like Yeah, I, mine too. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, I love the way he runs things. I mean, just his temperament. He's such an interesting. I hope one day someone does an in-depth profile on this guy because his interactions with his players, just how he does things in general, so impressive. But anyway, this is about you, not about Carl. But um, so um, what, I guess, pushed you from college to the WNBA? Um, What what was kind of like the decision-making process and going – changing from coaching to college because I think a lot of our listeners don't understand the differences between the two. So I'm curious if yeah. there's something. Yeah, there no, I think it's, uh, you know, for me, I had never, I, I, I never necessarily aspired um, to coach in the WNBA. Uh, I'd been a part of college as a player. I had always followed the WNBA. I'm a basketball junkie. I'll, I'll watch anything that's on whenever it's on. And, you know, having coached, um, college players over the years that went on to play, you just naturally continue to follow their career. And, you know, I was probably one of the first people to ever buy the all access pass, you know, and, and live on it. Even when I was on the road recruiting in college, you know, I, I get to my room and catch the West coast game, you know, that would start at 10 or 10 30 when you're finally out of the gym recruiting. So, you know, the WNBA, like for me was just, it was as simple as, Kurt, and, Kurt Miller and I became friends back in Col- at Colorado State in 1999, and we just hit it off from the minute we met. We saw it a lot alike. We had a blast. I mean, we just we laughed a lot. We talked a lot of basketball. You know, he was 30. I was 24 at the time or something like, you know, in that vicinity. And we've just said over the years, I mean, Kurt, Kurt stood up in our wedding for us. Um, you know, we just said over the years, if there was ever an opportunity to work together, that we wanted to do it. And when he got the Connecticut Sun job, you know, he immediately reached out to me and said, okay, here's our, here's our first real chance, you know, <laughs> to do that. And I was in a unique situation when I, when I left um, Arkansas to go to Florida Gulf Coast, Tom was still, you know, being paid um, by Arkansas for a couple of years. So, you know, being at Florida Gulf Coast, I considered like an unbelievable blessing because, um, you know, I know it's considered the A Sun is considered low major, but I really wanted to work with Carl. Um, I wanted to see how he did things and, and really take things from a totally different perspective. But you know, the salaries for assistant coaches in the in the Atlantic Sun, you know, aren't aren't mm-hmm. like they are at the University of Florida or Florida State and. Um, so I, I looked at it as I've put two years in here. I've learned a ton. I've built great relationships. Um, 
but let me let me go, you know, see where this takes me because it wasn't until you know Tom got let go at Arkansas and then and then went into retirement that my career really became about me and about where am I going instead of like where where am I following him next and so it just was a unique opportunity for me to work with Kurt and you know I just kind of viewed it as an opportunity to coach um, with against the best coaches against the best players in the world and you know I didn't know like I didn't know if I was going to love it you know but but after three months in the league, like I, I really, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with um, the league itself, the players in the league, um, how strong they are, who they are off the floor. Um, you know, I gained such an appreciation for them going overseas and playing year round, and what that means, and and what they have to do to take care of their bodies. And so, you know, I just, I kind of fell in love with the pro game um, because of my experience with it and in it. Hmm. And with that, um, just first of all, I have to two things I have to say as I'm listening to you. Um, I was in college in 1999 when you were at Colorado State and I played Colorado State. And I don't even want to think about what the score may have been. But I do remember that you had Becky Hammond. So uh, during that stretch and we were like, you know, it's crazy because we're going through our scouting report. And, you know, my coach was like oh, yeah, and they've got this girl, and she's really good, and we're watching her, and she's like, oh, she's little, and she's got this bang, you know? Remember, she used to wear yeah. the bang, and it was... And so we get out there, we're like, oh, my God, like, this girl yeah. is ridiculous. So that was around that same time. The other thing yeah. I was thinking about um, in terms of just your journey, did you play at all with Michelle Joseph at Purdue? I didn't. Michelle recruited me, you know? Ironically, Michelle recruited me. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, and Michelle was a, an assistant at the University of Illinois. But I had part of why I had kind of fallen in love with Purdue uh, in high school was I watched her. And, you know, my my heroes kind of when I was in that early high school, um, you know, I was where I lived in Wisconsin. I was two hours from Iowa City. So I watched Iowa religiously. Um, and I love Jolette Law. I love Stephanie Schuler. Like that was my backcourt. Um, but then at, at that, <laughs> but then at Purdue, you know, Michelle Joseph was there and then she recruited me to Illinois. And when I got to Purdue, she actually left Illinois and was at Purdue my freshman year. So she coached me my first two years at Purdue. So that was kind of my, That's my overlap funny. with her. But yeah, I'd watched her play, was a huge fan. And then, and then she coached me for two years. We're connecting all the dots in the history of the game. But it, it, I, I ask that because obviously, you know, the relationship here in state between and, and, and for any WNBA team between the college level and the WNBA level is is so important. Um, and obviously you've got Joni up at Georgia and Michelle's at Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. And one thing we hope to do with it, po- this podcast is, is connect the WNBA to the college level because it just seems like there's such a disconnect. So I like to connect those dots. But you and Michelle, I'm sure, will be working very closely on on promoting the game at all levels. So let's talk Atlanta Dream. Um, Yeah. This team is so interesting. Obviously, um, you know, not coming off of their best showing last season. They were 12-22, and missed the playoff. The worst winning percentage since their inaugural season, which I was actually here for. Um, And the one game I think they won at home, I was not there. So that's (laughs) always stuck in my memory. But um, imagine all the losses racking up. What do you see? You've got you've got three all stars last year, right? Tiffany Hayes, mm-hmm. um, you know Elizabeth Williams, Lasia Clarendon, uh, Angel McCautry, who is, in, in my opinion, I say this on the show all the time, one of the top five players in the world, um, if you ask me. So you've got all of these pieces. What, from your background or your experience or your philosophy, do you think um, comes into play as you start to shape what this team can be moving forward? Yeah, well, I think the pieces are great, you know, and I, I, I compare them in some ways to what happened, um, you know, in Connecticut for us this year where Jazz Thomas and Alyssa Thomas and John Quill Jones were all first-time All-Stars, um, very similar to kind of what happened with Clarendon and, and, and Williams. And so, you know, what we didn't have was an Olympian. Uh, in Connecticut, but I think what we what we really tried to do with our team in Connecticut is is really get them to buy into sharing the basketball, and you know the sum being more important than the parts. And and when you've got good parts, 
and you share the basketball, everybody should look better because they're going to get better shots. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's about moving the ball to the, to the next open person. It's about, you know, how, how do we mesh these pieces together? Now I'm excited to coach this group because, um, I want to play fast. Uh, we played fast in Connecticut. You know, Atlanta has as good athletes, if not the best athletes in the league. Um, and we would have said, you know, when we were Connecticut, clearly one of the best out-of-system teams in the league because they have playmakers. Uh, we have playmakers that can go make plays one-on-one and, and can get to the foul line. I think, I think where, where I want to get them to and what takes us to that next level is really the discipline and I don't mean Bobby Knight discipline, you know, I, I just mean discipline to, you know, stick to a game plan and take away tendencies on the defensive end um, to create kind of chaos, you know, because we're in the right position, um, because we have a base to start with and then being able to play out of that base defense. I mean, discipline to move the ball to the next pass and, you know, not take bad shots, um, and get to second actions. And Atlanta's always been so dangerous, you know, the first eight seconds of the shot clock uh, coming down the floor really fast. But what happens in the next eight? You know, and that's, that's the next eight seconds that are, that are so important to me in um, mm-hmm. kind of taking this team to the next level uh, is not even the last eight section, seconds where it comes down to, like, making plays. I, I want that second eight you know, in that 24-second shot clock to be where if we don't have an early shot in transition that we're moving, we're getting into a second action. And if we don't have something great out of that second action, we keep moving to the third. Um, and so, you know, we've got we've got people moving and, and putting them in their best position to score. I love it. I mean, as someone who's been around this team since it first started, everything you're saying is everything Atlanta needs. Um, because yeah. as you as you look to be a team to hopefully win a championship one day, that execution in the half court, late in shot clock, making the extra pass, those are all the little things I think that separate a good team from a great team and a great team from a championship level team. Um, so everything you are saying to me is spot, spot on. Now, I know that um, Chris Yanko ha- has signed on as the GM of the team. And so mm-hmm. you you will not have as much control over the pieces um, if you were both head coach and obviously GM. But what can you tell us about Angel McCautry's status for next year? And then, um, you know, you had a couple of new additions with Amani Boyette and, and mm-hmm. Tamara Young. Where do the, those three players stand in terms of um, next season's outlook to your knowledge? Sure. Well, first of all, with Chris, you know, having had experience with Chris in Connecticut, uh, the greatest thing about Chris is he's a facilitator. Um, he, he's not going to build my roster and tell me to coach it. You know, it, it's, it's going to be about what do I want? What do I think we need? And then, you know, he, he's unbelievable at, at the facilitating part, at, you know, connecting the, the dots and, and really being that person that communicates with agents and things like that. So he takes a lot of, a lot of my plate um, that way. But we're constantly talking about what what are the right moves free agency right you know wise that type of thing. So, you know, when it comes to Angel, you know, I expect Angel to be back. I, I talk to Angel multiple times a week. Uh, they had a big win uh, in a, a Euro League game today. Um, she wants to be back. I'm excited to coach her. I have some experience coaching her, um, so I expect her to be back. Uh, she wants to be back in Atlanta, so. So I'm excited about that. Um, Amani's doing a great job over in China right now. She's coming back pretty soon. Um, she had told me from the beginning that Sylvia Fowles comes in late, so she's she's on the team that that's in Sylvia will replace her in December, um, and so mm-hmm. she she'll come back and and just train uh, between Atlanta and LA. But I'm I'm excited to coach her. I think she's a rim protector. I think she had a great rookie year and, and kind of never got jump started. And, and maybe uh, timing wise with the trade, it was just kind of hard to fit all the pieces together, you know, that late in the season. But I think, you know, getting a, a good start with her in training camp, knowing she'll be back, she'll be there on the first day and, and Elizabeth will be back because she's in China as well, you know, figuring out how much we can play them together and, and how much one plays for the other. Um, 
you know, are all, all things that we have to work through. Uh, Tamara Young's a free agent, an unrestricted free agent. Um, and so um, there'll be some things to work through with her in terms of, you know, is, is Atlanta the right fit for her with the personnel we have coming back, that type of thing, but, but certainly been in touch with her as well. Well, it is an exciting time, I know, for the dream under your leadership. I was in awe of what you guys did in Connecticut and, you know, really a high level of respect for your professionalism, for your passion. I think everything that you said about what you want to bring to Atlanta is everything I saw and just watching you. Um, obviously, I haven't spent a great deal of time around you, but just, um, you know, you take such pride in scouting and there's just such a passion there. And I think that discipline is something uh, that will bode well for Atlanta. So, I know the whole city is excited about you, and um, we are really looking forward to this year. Brittany Sykes was awesome uh, last year, obviously. I think Bria Holmes has a ton of potential, Demir's Dante. So there's good talent, and you add that you know, with, with a great, young, talented coach like yourself. And um, Atlanta should be back in the playoffs this year, but no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> hey, you know, like, I'll, I'll, believe me, you know, I'll, all coaches are, are going to – downplay how good they think they can be and, and then it all looks better you know when it when it works out the way you thought at the beginning but exactly. but yeah I mean, i'm excited to get started i i love this group of players getting to know them Brittany sykes is a lot of fun um you know she's already creating nicknames for me so um <laughs> I, I i know i think i know what i'm in for a little bit already Yes, you are. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, and we hope to have you back in the WNBA season. Absolutely. I'd love it. Thanks so much. Well, fans, that is it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, for listening to Around the Rim. Continue to um, subscribe, download, review, tell your friends, rate, uh, send us some notes. LaGina, guess what? Yeah? Someone's here to say goodbye to you. LaChina, I love you so much. This is your sister from another Mr. Your Tall Twin. This is Chanae of the Ram. I know I've been missing in action, but I'm back like I never left, though. And the fans want you back. Like, they are asking for you. So you need to come back and at least do a little. We know you're big time now. Ah, As as one man in power would say, that's some fake news. (laughs) No, it's real news. You got to come back at least. Every once in a while, I'm putting the responsibility on Tarika to get you back every once in a while to do a show with us. I'm going to do what I have to do, but I couldn't let the show end with her being next to me and not getting on the podcast, teasing a little oh, bit. Oh, we love you, <laughs> Chanae. All right, fans, that's Chanae. You can tweet her, too, at Chanae321. She's talking hoops. And um, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Around the Room. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.